Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5. I have a very serious question to ask you. Is this gray? My fashion consultant was not at home when I left. And I put this on thinking it was gray. Now it looks green to me. It's gray. I'm a lot more colorblind than I thought. <clears throat> what did you say, dear? <coughs> Somebody's going to get in trouble here tonight. Probably already has, right? Okay. Matthew chapter 5. We have now concluded our study of the channel markers that God has given man to keep us from shipwrecking our lives. First, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, and then the Beatitudes in the New Testament. I thought for a while about what we're going to do to continue our study, and I just decided, at least for a while, to continue through uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, as we make some decisions about uh, how we're going to proceed in the future with the Sunday night service uh, and making decisions there. So we're just going to continue with the uh, Sermon on the Mount for this, at this point. Now, remember as Jesus gave this great Sermon on the Mount that included in his audience uh, <clears throat> that day were individuals who knew that Jesus was the Messiah but had not yet committed themselves to him. And the overall theme of the Sermon on the Mount is how people of the kingdom of heaven are to live. Jesus was saying, those who are my disciples should affect the world in a positive way by the way in which they live. Let's begin reading in verse number 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, unlike some of the parables, Jesus teaches, he tells the readers what he wants them to understand. Here, he gives no explicit explanation of the word pictures of salt and light that he uses in these verses. And so the reader is left to come up to an understanding of these images on the basis of how those things are used in the world. We must then ask ourselves two basic questions about this. First of all, what is it that we are to understand about the salt? And what is it that we're supposed to understand about the light? And how are Christians to be like salt and light? So first of all, let's look at what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? You are the salt of the earth, for if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. And this is one of those things, one of those places that I think we miss something in the modern translations. 
The King James Version translates that verse, ye are the salt of the earth. Now, ye is a good southern word. It means y'all. You, all of you, is exactly what it means. So he's saying you, all of you, are the salt of the earth. This is not a choice you get to make whether or not you're going to be salt if you're going to be a Christian. So what did Jesus mean? Jesus refers to his handful at this point of basically uneducated disciples and he referred to them as the salt of the earth. That was a great compliment by the way because salt was a necessity of life in ancient times and it was of great value because of that. Salt was so important that it was sometimes used for money. The Roman soldiers of Jesus' day were at times actually paid with salt. In fact, our word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which means salt money, which refers to the payment of the soldiers with salt. Whenever we use the phrase saying that someone is either is or is not worth their salt, then we're using that same idiom. It's a carryover of the idea of the high value that salt had in biblical times. Now, according to the Salt Institute, and there is a Salt Institute, by the way, there are over 14,000 uses of salt. So I'm just going to briefly describe each one. Just kidding. I'm just going to talk about two of them. You can sigh now with relief. First is seasoning, and secondly, a preservative. There is no doubt that its main use, and its use that we're going to look at today, is salt was used in days prior to refrigeration because it was the only way that they had to preserve meat. Salt was rubbed into the meat before it was stored, salt wood arrest or at least hinder the process of decay. So Christians then are given the task of arresting or hindering the decay of our world. Now, if we look back at history, Christianity has in fact had a profound positive effect on the world. The most dramatic effect of Christianity on the world is that it attached a new value to human life. And in, even in places today where Christianity is not the major factor, human life is cheap. Prior to Christianity, the killing of unwanted children and the abandonment of children that were not wanted was a common practice. Hospitals, as we now know them, began through the influence of Christianity. The Red Cross was started by an evangelical Christian. Almost every one of the first 123 colleges and universities in the United States, some of which are very ungodly now, had Christian origins. The same could be said of orphanages, adoption agencies, humane treatment of the insane, and the list goes on and on and on of the dramatic impact of Christianity in our world. Christianity's continues to have a positive benefit in our world. We act as a moral antiseptic. Christians keep the 
corruption of society at bay by opposing that moral decay by their lives and by their deeds. But there's a horrifying new trend today. George Barna, the church statistician, says that research shows that the average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The fundamental moral and ethical difference that Christ can make in how we live is missing. When our teens who claim to be saved get pregnant, do drugs and alcohol at the same level as the general population, when Christian young people live together without the benefit of marriage, when the marriages of Christians end in divorce at the same rate as the rest of society, when Christians cheat in business, lie, steal, cheat on their spouses at the same statistical level as those who say they are not Christians, then we have to say something is horribly wrong. We have ceased to be the salt. If we, as Christians, lose the quality of Christ-likeness that make us distinct and become like the society around us, we no longer have that positive effect on our society and we can, in fact, become a hindrance instead of a preservative. According to Scripture, one day, prior to the Lord's return, the church is going to be removed from this world. And when Christians are finally removed from the world scene, literally all hell will break loose. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, that is the Holy Spirit, of course, and the Holy Spirit being resident in Christians, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Jesus says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Some translations render that tasteless, but technically speaking, salt cannot lose its saltiness. Sodium chloride is a stable compound. But in the part of the world where Jesus lived, salt was collected from around the Dead Sea, where the crystals were often contaminated with other minerals. These crystallized formations were full of impurities. And since the actual salt was more soluble than the impurities, rain could often wash out the salt which made what was left of little worth since it lost its ability to be salty. When this happened, the salt then was thrown out. And since it was no longer of any value, either as a preservative or as a flavoring, so the essential difference can be leached out of a Christian's life by the constant flow of the world's values through our lives. The proper or the peculiar property of salt that is even though it may have lost its taste, it still reserves one devastating potential. This rare and remarkable material can still 
destroy plant life on land. The same principle applies in the case of Christians. Either our lives are counting for good and for God and making the impact, or they are making an impact for evil and the enemy. The way we live, the things we say, the attitudes we entertain, the lifestyle we adopt are constantly producing either positive or negative results in society. Our lives, whether we are aware of them or not, either count for God or against him. There simply is no middle ground. I want you to notice that what Jesus says and does not say. He does not say you can be the salt of the earth. Nor does he say you should be the salt of the earth. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. And in the original Greek, it is literally you and you alone are the salt of the earth. So to be salt, you don't have to be spectacular to be salt. We don't have to be sensational to be salt. We do not even have to be successful by the world's standards to be salt. We just have to have an effect on our little corner of the world. Secondly, what does it mean to be the light of the world? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, put it on a lampstand and give light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Literally, Jesus told his disciples, you and you alone are the light of the world. But the influence of the church is not being felt in our society in the way that it should. What I mean by that? Well, it's been reported that as high as 25% of our population in the United States claims to be born again. Yet based on the impact we're having, that can't be true. Perhaps part of the problem is that we have been led to believe that our religious faith is a purely personal thing. That is, we should keep it to ourselves. And while I agree that our faith is personal, in that it requires a personal decision on our part as to whether or not we're going to believe in Jesus, Jesus taught that we are not to keep it to ourselves. The words, let your light so shine, are translated, a translation of a single Greek word, which is an imperative, which means that it is a command. What is the meaning? As we consider the light... We need to note there is a threefold call or responsibility as being light. First, we are to receive the light. Jesus, or rather John, described Jesus as the light. It is not enough to merely be exposed to the light. We have a choice to respond to the light. Here's what John said about the reception that this light received in John chapter 3. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who, would, who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen 
that they have been done in God. We have a choice. We can either come to the light or we can reject the light. It's our choice. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name. First, we have to receive the light. Secondly, we're called to walk in the light. Paul reminds believers in Ephesians 5, 8, For you once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We were once not just in darkness, we were darkness. We were a part of the darkness. He tells us that this is uh, what we must understand. How are we to live then? We were once darkness, but now we're light in the world. We're to live as children of the light. John says in 1 John 1, 5, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we have to receive the light. We have to walk in the light, and we're called to reflect the light. And that, of course, is the central message of this text. Once again, John said in John chapter 9, As long as I am in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm not the light. You're not the light. We're not the source of light. Jesus is the source of light. I talked about this a little bit in our Sunday school lesson this morning. On one of those occasions when Jesus was making himself known before the temple, he was in Jerusalem on the day of the Tabernacle of the Lights. They had four giant candelabras that set up in the temple. They were tall enough that they, that they were as tall as the walls of the temple. They had to have ladders to scale the. They held 65 pints of oil in each of those four chambers. And the young priests would climb and light those. It's said that when those candelabras were lit, they not only lit the whole temple, but they, hit, they lit the whole city of Jerusalem. Understanding now there was not the kind of light that we have today. So you would see that light from all over the city. The next day, Jesus presented himself at the temple on the steps of the temple with the candelabra still in the background. He said, I am the light of the world. The candelabras, they represented the presence of God as he led the children of Israel as the light and the cloud through the wilderness. Jesus is saying, I am that light that that led you then and I am the light now. I led you then spiritually, and I lead you now spiritually. I am the source of light. When he said, I am, every good Jew in the place knew he was saying, I am God. Of course, that was blasphemy, if it wasn't true. 
But it was true. He was and is God. When Jesus returned to heaven, he left Christians with a responsibility to be the light. I like what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He said in Philippians chapter 2, do all things without complaining and disputing. I don't know why he would ever have to say that to any Christians, do you? That you may become blameless and, and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And this is the key part, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In the same way that the, the moon reflects the light of the S-U-N, sun, Christians are to reflect the light of the S-O-N, sun. Those who follow Jesus actually become reflectors of light. Just as the sun is the source of the light in our universe and the moon reflects that light of the sun, Jesus is the source of light in the world and we as his followers are to reflect that light. The application is very simple. In verse 16, it says, and let your light shine before men. And the key is that little phrase, before men. You can turn on a light in an empty room and it will dispel the darkness. Evidently, there is some choice involved because it says, let your light shine. One of the most frightening things in the world is to be alone in the darkness. Children don't like it. Adults don't like it much better than that either. Isn't it amazing how darkness distorts things around you? You lie in bed trying to sleep and suddenly you hear a little creak, an odd sound. You strain to see through the darkness, but all you can see is vague shapes. Ever notice how everything looks different in the dark? That's because darkness distorts reality. Jesus uses that simple metaphor to speak a spiritual and physical truth. Light reflects things as they really are. The simple fact is the world is in darkness. But as we saw in John 3, 19 and 20, the sad thing is the world is not only in darkness, the world prefers darkness. The world desperately needs light, but please understand me when I say this, the world will not applaud you for bringing it. Although we live in a society where tolerance is espoused as a leading virtue, there is surprisingly little tolerance for the Christian viewpoint. We cannot live light-filled lives in our society without standing out, without having people notice. They may not like us, they may reject us, but they will know that we are here. If your faith does not make a difference in the way you live your life, in the way you make your decisions, then you need to either get saved or you need to repent and allow the light of Jesus to shine through. Jesus said two things that would happen when you light your, let your light shine. First of all, he said, so they will see your good deeds. The word here, the word translated good means attractive or beautiful or lovely. 
Joseph Stoll, pastor of the Moody Church, wrote these words. He said, how do we draw people to Christ and advance the gospel in a darkening and increasingly dangerous day? We do it the same way the early church did in a far more pagan society. Their secret was found in the power of lives well lived. A watching culture sinking into hopeless, despairing abyss of its own unchecked desires could not help but notice these Christians had something that they needed. The fact that the early Christians were unintimidated by persecution revealed that they had found something worth living for and, if necessary, worth dying for. To these pagans whose self-consumed lives had left them without purpose or hope, this unshakable sense of well-being was undeniably compelling. There's a second thing that happens when you let your light shine before men. They give God the credit. Verse 16 says that they praise your Father who is in heaven. In fact, the word your is used three times in this passage, in in this verse. Your light, your good deeds, your Father in heaven. When you let your light shine before men, they will glorify your Father in heaven. What happens on earth, this is kind of a, is a really strong thing to think about. What happens on earth ends in heaven. That's how much influence we have. We can point men to God. We can lead them out of darkness into light. Jesus did not say live our lives in such a fashion that people will see our good deeds and say what a marvelous, outstanding person we are. A lamp does not call attention to itself. It is simply placed on a lampstand from which it can give the best illumination. It is not always easy to perform good works in such a way that people will always praise God rather than the one performing the act, but that is still what Christ has commanded. We are not called to be magnificent chandeliers for the world to admire. We're called to be that single little bulb in the nightlight that keeps you from stumping your toe when you get up in the middle of the night, that dispels the darkness. He has called us to make a difference in the darkness. On June the 5th, 19 and 10, the American short story writer O. Henry spoke his last words. They were, turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. As lights in the world, that's still our mission. No one goes home in the dark. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's challenges to our hearts. But when you say that when our salt has lost its savor, it's no longer of any use, we don't need to give up hope, but recognize that that's a call for us to recommit ourselves to you. No matter where we are in our lives, 30s, 40s, even in our teens, we can make a decision to say, I'm going to commit myself to be salt and light for God. I'm going to be different from the world around me. I pray you'd help 
us to understand that that would not that will not make us popular, but that will make us godly. People may not applaud us, but they certainly will notice the difference. And our job is to reflect your light. Our job is to see that no one goes home in the darkness, but everyone knows that Jesus is the light of this world. He's the savior of this world and that he's come to save humanity. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let me just give you a